Good morning, good morning to you. Good morning, good morning to you. Good morning, good morning. Won't you share with a friend or two? Good morning, good morning to you, you, good morning, good morning, good morning to you, you, good morning, good morning to Good morning, good morning, good morning, and welcome, welcome, welcome to Daring Dialogues. I am your host, Shantae Charles. I hope that you've been having a great and wonderful day so far. I hope everything is well in your world. I hope that you are surrounded by people who love on you, who are encouraging you, who are praying for you, who are uplifting you in spirit. Why? Because we all need it. It's Relationship Wednesday, W-I-N-S-D-A-Y. And on Wednesdays, we cover relationships pertaining to the relationship you have with yourself and the relationship that you have with others. So let's jump right into our first book today, Set Boundaries and Find Peace, A Guide to Reclaiming Yourself. Nedra is walking us through what it means to have boundaries and what it means to set them. Now, I've done a lot of boundary teaching myself. I do a lot of of teaching about boundaries and emotional intelligence um, in my coaching sessions. But I love the fact that she has kind of broken boundaries down, made it very simplified to help you to understand what kind of boundaries you already have, what boundaries need to be put into place in your life, and how to be consistent in those boundaries. Then we're going to hop over to her second book, which is Drama Free, A Guide to Managing Unhealthy Family Relationships. I don't care how powerful and good your family is. Everybody has family relationships that challenge them. I don't, I have not met a family yet where there's not at least one relationship within that family or one family dynamic that is not challenging, right? Not necessarily unhealthy or dysfunctional, but could be just challenging. Um, we've gotten a chance this past week to um, look at Kirk Franklin, right? And his family and his family challenges and family dynamics. And a lot of people identify with that story in some way, shape, or form, whether it was parental issues, whether it was dealing with their extended family, aunties, whether it was father, son, um, a lot of people found themselves saying, hey, I I identify with this aspect of what he is going through. So these are two books that I feel like 
everybody should probably have in their library. They're, they're relatable. They are um, practical. So if you're looking for practical, practical wisdom, you're going to find it in Nedra's work. If you're saying, hey, I don't feel like I'm ready for a therapist just yet, or maybe I need to get my coins up so I can go to therapy more regularly, but you want something that's going to assist you in a therapeutic process written by a therapist, you want to invest in these two books. All right, so let's go into the second part that we've been talking about. We talked about the kinds of boundaries. The three kinds of boundaries are porous, right? These are poorly expressed or weak boundaries, rigid, which are boundaries that involve building walls to keep others out and as a way to keep yourself safe, but they're very unyielding and they can go to the extreme. And then she talked to us about what healthy boundaries look like. So now today we're going to talk about the two parts to setting boundaries common ways that people will respond to you when you start sharing your boundaries. Um, and so we'll look at those, those um, things. Okay. So let's start with two parts to setting boundaries. It's true that setting boundaries isn't easy. Paralyzing fear about how someone might respond can easily hold us back. You might play out awkward interactions in your mind and prepare yourself for the worst possible outcome. But trust me, short-term discomfort for a long-term healthy relationship is worth it every time. Whenever you identify a boundary you'd like to set, remember that there are two steps to the process, communication and action. So two parts to setting boundaries, communication and action. Communication first. Verbally communicating your needs is step one. People cannot accurately assume your boundaries based on your body language or unspoken expectations. I see a lot of people who get upset when people don't respect their boundaries, but you haven't communicated them. There's been unspoken expectations or you're saying, well, they should have been able to tell by my expression well, they should have been able to tell by my body language. Well, everybody doesn't read body language and expression well, which is why verbal communication, if at all possible, is helpful. When you explicitly state what you expect, there is little room for others to misinterpret what works for you. Assertive statements are the most effective way to do this. Verbally communicating your boundaries might sound something like this. When we have a disagreement, I'd like you to use a lower tone and take a break if you feel like you're getting too heated in an argument. I will mention when I'm becoming uncomfortable with your tone. That is communicating what you feel, how you feel about it, and what you plan to do. Here's another one. It's important to me that you honor plans that we set up. If you need to change our plans, Please send me a text a few hours before. It's called communicating the boundary, communicating your expectation. Second part, action. The process does not end with communication. 
You must uphold what you communicate through your own behavior. Betting on the other person to read your mind is a recipe for an unhealthy relationship. Action is required. For instance, let's say you've told your friend, it's important to me that you honor plans that we set up. If you need to change our plans, please send me a text a few hours before. Because you verbally communicated your rule, okay, your boundary, your expectation, when it's violated, you need to reinforce it with action. In this case, you will let your friend know that you can't accommodate the changed plans because they didn't give you enough notice. You might say, I want to hang out with you, but my schedule won't allow for the adjustment. Let's set up a time to get together next week. It's hard, I know, but honoring your boundaries through action is the only way most people will understand that you're serious, which will help the people in your life become serious about your boundaries too. Boundaries are for you and the other person. She says, in my workshops, participants often share how they failed at communicating a boundary. Many people believe that once a limit is set, other people will fall in line. Therefore, the person setting it doesn't take action after communicating it. But this lack of action invites continued violations in the relationship. You will have to put in the work to ensure that your boundaries are respected. It's your responsibility to follow through on it. The biggest fear around this work is how others will respond. So let's get prepared for how that might look. So type in the comment section if you have a problem with doing this. Do you have a problem with communicating your boundary? Or do you have a problem with the action side of following up once your boundary is violated? What do you have the most issue with? Um, as a coach and as an instructor, um, my boundary is if I schedule a client um, in my contract, my, my contract says that if you do not show up within the first 15 minutes of our scheduled time, then that appointment is canceled. You're considered a no-show and you do not get a refund for that time. If you're running late, you can text me, you can call me, you can say, hey, I'm on my way to the session and I will hold the session open for you. If there is no communication, I'm going to close that session and I'm going to go about my way. I had that happen this morning. I had a client that um, woke up late, so they didn't show to the session. So the session was closed. And then they called me 15 minutes after the session closed to ask me if I still had time to meet. I did have time to meet, but my boundary is if you don't make the first 15 minutes of my session, I don't open the session back up. And so I reiterated what my boundary was. I communicated to my client and I said, hey, I will catch you on the next session. And they were fine with that. Why? Because I had previously communicated my boundary. It's in my contract. They understood and they said, okay, I understand. And I am meeting again with them on next week. So I think it's important, you know, that like she said, 
the boundary is for you and it's also for the other person. You have to communicate your boundary and then you have to actually stick to it. Because if you don't, people will not take you seriously. And that really is the bottom line. Common ways people respond when you share your boundaries. It's important to consider how people might respond, but don't get too fixated on their possible reactions. Somebody asked a question, another um, therapist friend of mine asked a question, um, what helped you to be able to come to terms with people? What helped you to be able to come to terms with people, be able to move on from any kind of anger or frustration that you might be having? And I answered and I said, one of the most powerful, impactful things that the Holy Spirit told me that really helped me to just put humankind in perspective is people are built to surprise you. And good morning to each and every one of you coming in. People are built to surprise you. Somebody type that into the chat. People are built to surprise you. In other words, what you can be certain of about human beings is they're going to do something to surprise you. And so now when I am dealing with human beings, I have it in my mind that at any point they could do something surprising. Even the person that I think is the most kindest, the most calmest, the most laid back, um, whatever, I still have in my mind now that this person could act in a way that is surprising. So when they do, that just comes back to my mind. Yes, they have, they have been built to surprise me. They have surprised me. I can move on from the surprise. <laughs> but here are some common responses to boundaries. Number one, pushback. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you're going to get some pushback. Number two, limit testing. Number three, ignoring. Number four, rationalizing and questioning. Number five, defensiveness. Number six, ghosting. So that ghosting is actually can be a response to your boundary. Some people say, okay, well, I don't want to follow this boundary, so I'm just going to disappear altogether. Silent treatment is another one. And acceptance. So common responses to boundaries. Let's look at the first one, pushback. We're not going to go into the um, other ones today, but let's just look at pushback. It's typical for people to be resistant to changes in a relationship. It can be confusing at first. However, if someone respects you, they will respect these changes. We all grow and we evolve and our relationships must do the same. Pushback can happen at any time immediately after you set a boundary or a while after when the person decides to no longer honor it. And yes, um, projecting false guilt or trying to make you feel guilty about holding a boundary is definitely one of the common responses. Pushback is a manifestation of the fear that things will be different, of being pushed out of the comfort zone. Even though different doesn't mean bad, some people will struggle to deal with new terms in the relationship. For example, maybe after Kim tells her friend that she can't help her move, Kim's friend says, okay, 
as if she understands. Then the next day, Kim's friend says, Are you sure you can't help me move? You're always the person who helps me. Pushback sounds like, Well, I don't know if I can do that. That is, this isn't fair. I have things I need too, but I'm not making you change. How do you handle pushback? Acknowledge that you heard the other person's concern. Restate the boundary you initially set. For example, thank you for letting me know. However, I'm proceeding with my request. I understand that you don't like my boundary, but I need to feel safe in my relationship. And having limits helps me to feel safe. So yes, pushback is definitely something that you're going to face when you are setting boundaries. Everybody may not give you a pushback, but some people might. And then depending on the boundary that you set, you might have a whole bunch of people giving you pushback, but you still have to hold the line on what you say your boundary is. Moving on. Drama Free, a guide to managing unhealthy family relationships. We've been on the subject, what dysfunction looks like. And now we're going to talk about resilience. We're talking about how adulthood gives us the opportunity to change our narrative. We no longer have to, as an adult, we no longer have to be or place ourselves in certain situations when it comes to family. If you're an able-bodied, independent adult, most of the time you can decide what you want to be connected to when it comes to your family and what you don't want to be connected to. So let's look at some things that are important as you get ready to look at your factors that are contributing to any kind of dysfunction you may have experienced. We talked last time about environment. Now we're going to talk today about resilience and being honest with yourself about your childhood. Resilience is the ability to embrace what happened. We can overcome our environment when the right protective factors are in place. Protective factors include having strong connections with safe adults, having positive parenting influences, having strong values or a sense of purpose, the ability to self-regulate or have a positive outlook and be resourceful, having healthy social connections, support from peers and mentors, Continue structured programs that increase exposure to healthy relationships. Now, I again, and we talked about this a little bit on last week. I had, I would say, a mixture or a composite of different things going on in my own life as a child. I talked about the environment, right? I drew that little diagram and I talked about how there were levels of um, environmental structure. There were class structures in my environment, but even in my own environment where there was definitely dysfunction, we took the ACEs test yesterday, um, on our black table talk session. And I talked about how I had nine out of the 10 ACEs factors, which should tell you 
I had a lot of traumatic things happening in my childhood before the age of 18. Even with those traumatic things happening, one of the things that the ACEs test talks about is the fact that the higher your score is, the more you are at risk for certain health factors. But they also said, if you have interventions, even though you're going through those childhood traumas, even though you might be in a dysfunctional environment, if you have interventions into that, you're going to fare better than someone who does not have any interventions at all. And I feel like that was the case for me. I feel like I am definitely better in my mental head space than other people are because I had interventions. Well, what interventions did I have? I had strong connections with safe adults. I had aunts and uncles in the middle of all of that dysfunction that was going on. I had grandmothers in the middle of all that dysfunction that was going on. So I had people of wisdom in my life, even though I was dealing with the dysfunctions of my environment. I had some positive parenting influences. Yes, my mom had had her own deals with mental health illness and alcoholism and other things going on. But at the same time, as a parenting influence, there were things that she instilled in me. There are things that she taught me. And so I'm not the person that's going to write my parent off because I understand that my parent was dealing with and is dealing with mental illness. And even in that, she instilled positive things in me as a parent. So I had that. Strong values or a sense of purpose that was instilled in me through my connections with my family. Even in a dysfunctional environment, <laughs> even in the middle of a drug war going on in the hood, for some reason, we think that because people live in a certain place that they can't have values or they don't have a sense of purpose. I always knew that I was not going to be there forever. I had examples in my family of people who went to college, of people who owned their own businesses and were doing wonderful and, and they were successful in it. So it wasn't like, you know, I'm in this environment and I'm just walking around totally blind and I have no physical examples in front of me. That was just not the case. The ability to self-regulate, have a positive outlook, and be resourceful. Some people have that with what they're given through their family. Some people begin to develop that innately as they're growing up. Some of that comes from recognizing, okay, because I have these things going on in my family, I realize that I have to have reliance on myself. And some, some people develop a strong sense of self-reliance. And when they get to be adults, they have a hard time letting anybody else in because they have been really taking care of themselves or raising themselves for quite a, a bit of time. This is where you can have issues when you're trying to 
enter into a romantic relationship and you're used to being the person that's in charge over your entire life all the time and making all the decisions. <laughs> and then you get in a relationship and you don't let your partner assist you in nada. <laughs> and they're like, well, if I can't assist you, if I can't partner with you, then what am I here for? And then you have conflict, but that's a whole other session, right? Healthy social connections. I had healthy social connections because I was involved in sports. I ran track. I ran the 200, the 400, the half mile, and the mile. I played basketball for a hot minute <laughs> until people was doing illegal moves on the basketball court. And my mom said, uh, you will not be doing that anymore. Cause you are, you know, you, you blow on you and you fall down. You're tiny, you're tall, but you're tiny. And I don't need to see women trying to beat you up because you know how to throw, you know how to shoot. So my mom asked that, but I still had track and field that was still safe. Okay. So I had some healthy social connections in all of that. Support from peers and mentors. When my mom became, you know, intoxicated, which would bring her into fits of anger, which would bring her into physical abuse with me in particular, I had places where I could literally, because I would literally have to run away. <laughs> I could run down the street to my friend's house and her mother would harbor me for a couple of hours until my mom cooled down and my mom sobered up. So I was not beat to death. I understand everybody didn't have that. But I did have support from people in my community, in my neighborhood, who said, oh, your mom is out of it right now. Stay here. Watch some television. Here's a plate of food. Wait for her to cool down and then go back. I had that. So... I don't want anybody to ever think that I just lived a horrible, horrible life and, and I grew up, you know, in, in the hood or whatever, and that there were not support systems there. Which is why I like this next section that we're about to go into, which is be honest about your childhood. Everything about my childhood was not peaches and cream, but everything about my childhood was not constant trauma either and I also had supports in place it's often said that we are a product of our environment but we can also be a product of exposure to healthy relationships outside the home Carmen's understanding of her home environment was shaped by what she saw as healthy alternatives outside her home growing up in Detroit Michigan and attending public schools the writer says, I recall being exposed to programs intended to help urban kids overcome issues they may have faced at home. I stopped littering in elementary school because a group taught us about how littering is harmful to our environment, and they helped us clean up the neighborhood around my school. Although the cleaning efforts were short-lived, the piece about not littering stuck with me. Um, I would say I learned about littering. This just brings up a memory. I learned about littering from my grandmother because my grandmother would take my siblings and I 
and we would go around and we would clean up our neighborhood. We would pick up tin cans and then we would take those tin cans to the recycling center and we got money back. <laughs> now, there are some people who actually still do that. There are some recycling centers that still carry on that program that if you bring in the recycled um, cans that you can get money back. But that was an easy way to do two things. Clean up your neighborhood and make money. Clean up your neighborhood and make money. A win and a win. It's a still skill. Strangers, she says, have assumed that I was raised in a two-parent home and that my childhood was free from trauma. But neither of those assumptions is true. I had exposure to different perspectives in healthy relationships, and I hoped that my life would be different when I became an adult. Be honest, at least with yourself, about your childhood. Honesty isn't betrayal, it's courage. Stop sugarcoating your experiences and allow the truth to free you. People often misrepresent their relationships and experiences because they're too afraid to admit what's true. But denial will keep you from breaking free from your past. Hard things to accept about a family member. They are selfish and will do whatever it takes to get what they want. They aren't a good listener. They make changes but only temporary. They are mean, often without cause. They take more than they give. They aren't perfect. Reasons we don't talk about family problems. And she's going to give quite a few of them. First one she gives, thinking that family issues are a reflection of who we are. They, you are not what happened to you. In childhood, you faced many things that were outside of your control. We talked about that yesterday that the the um the aces quiz the adverse childhood experiences quiz is about things that happened to you things that were outside of your control sometimes in our adult minds we look back at our childhood and we think in terms of an adult about what we would have done right but really you're not responsible for a lot of what happened to you i remember um because it's forever etched into my mind. I remember being nine years old and I remember um, seeing my mother be physically abused. And I remember seeing my mother be pistol whipped and knocked unconscious with the person standing over her with a gun. And I remember myself and my brother were in that space watching that happen. And I remember that feeling that came over me of number one, I wanted to do harm to the person that had done harm to my mother. And then number two, the feeling of helplessness because I realized I couldn't do anything because I had no control and I had no power in the situation. So that because of that instance, because of that feeling, I made a conscious decision in my mind to Make sure that I don't ever put myself in a situation or in a relationship with somebody who has any inklings of the characteristics of the person that did that to my mother. So that stayed with me all through my life and continues to stay with me. That's not a pleasant memory. It's a very traumatic memory. But what it has done for me is it has let me know 
what are some red flags to potentially violent men? What did I see and what did I notice in that instance? And I said, whatever I see and whatever I notice, if I see it presently, then I have made up in my mind some specifics of how I would respond. But that was under not in my control. So a lot of times we kind of look back and we think about, man, I should have done this or I should have done that or any, any number of things. We kind of roll memories through our head and we try to see it as an adult, but you have to recognize that you were not an adult. And so you were not thinking as an adult and a part of, you know, dealing with trauma is recognizing what was happening in the moment, what you had control over, and forgiving yourself because you were not an adult. Managing your environment wasn't on you. Therefore, you can't blame yourself for what happened in that environment. Good morning. Your experiences shaped you. But as an adult, you have the power to choose whether you want to be a product of those experiences or move past them to create something different. You aren't what happened to you. But what happened to you does shape your experiences in the future and it will shape your choices. You have to decide though, what do you want to take from whatever that experience was? For me, It was, I want to make sure I recognize what kind of men I'm dealing with in the future because I don't ever want to be in that kind of a situation. That's what I took away from it. Um, And so anytime I am encountering men and I'm getting any sense of that from them, I go the opposite direction. I'm just being honest. If you're giving off any of those kind of any of those kind of vibes, I go the opposite direction. I'm not even entertaining it. Feeling embarrassment and shame. And I'm going to stop here today. One thing that helps with feeling embarrassed about your family story, we're talking about why people don't talk about their family problems. One thing that helps with feeling embarrassed about your family story is hearing about people's similar experiences. The only way to connect with those who share your experiences, however, is honesty. You will have to be brave enough to tell the truth. Shame exists when you hide things from others. And releasing the secrets releases shame. Maintaining privacy is not secret keeping. You can share as much or as little as you feel comfortable sharing. Privacy allows you to discern whom you prefer to disclose to. Sometimes you don't share as a protection to the people who harmed you. Therefore, you might be engaging in preventing embarrassment for others, not just for yourself. So there are parts of my story that I have yet to share because as she said, it's a protection to people who were harmed alongside me. Sometimes your story is connected to not just you, but it's also connected to other people. And so you not only have to think about, I want to tell my story, 
but how can I tell my story without including the other people who are not yet ready to tell their story? And it's okay to decide. I can tell you this part, but because this is connected to someone else who has not, who has chosen not to come forward with their part of the story, I am not going to share this part. All right. But you do want to make sure that you're being honest about what you do share. I'll stop here. But one of the things that I saw, if you have not seen the Kurt Franklin documentary, I do recommend that you watch it. One of the things that I saw in that documentary with his mother was shame. That was, to me, in her segment of the video, that was the thing that was resonating the most. To me, that was the thing that was the most tangible in her segment. I've seen some conversations happening now, going back and forth. Um, you know, people feeling, having mixed mixed reactions really to Kurt Franklin choosing to film that. But I said at the beginning of that documentary, he explains why he is filming it. He explains how he didn't want to stop his process of preparing for his album to deal with this separately and that he was going to include it into the preparation for his album because that was the time in which um, things played out. We also saw them signing documents. People are like, they feel like it was exploitative. I'm like, no, he's showing you that they signed documents, meaning they agreed to being filmed. They agreed to this process. They agreed to be added in to his process. So I get that people are feeling some kind of way about that. But in that um, segment with the mother, what I sensed was shame. Whether whether her sh her shame was justified, whether her shame might be tied to um, feelings around people's or society's feelings around promiscuity. When really, if you're that, if you're underage and you're engaging in sexual activity, we need to also consider um, what that means, what the mindset is around that, and that little girls are not just fast because we love to put that word on on young women just call them fast but there's something else going on there if you're engaging in sexual activity at a young age it's not just that you're fast you've usually been introduced to sexuality in other ways that you probably probably should not have been So I could definitely see that there was lots of shame involved and maybe she did not want to tell him on camera why. And again, that's her truth. She has to hold it. And as a family, they're probably still going to be working through it and going through the process. But the video does end by saying that he has not talked to her since that filming. But if you are a person that's dealing with shame, chances are you probably do not want a camera in your face when you tell your truth. 
if you're dealing with shame. So that's what I had to share today. I hope that what we've shared so far has been um, enlightening in some way for you today. Hopefully it's helped you to think about your own boundaries that you're setting. Hopefully it's helped you to start thinking about thinking about why people may not want to discuss what needs to come out in the in the open if you're dealing with family issues or family dysfunction or even family secrets. So I'm going to open it up now. If you want to come on and chop it up, we've got about a good 10 minutes. So let's uh, bring the camera on. If you want to come on, please tap it and I will bring you right in. If you're listening by Google Play, Spotify, this has been another episode of Daring Dialogues and I've been your host today, Shantae Charles. I want to thank you for your time and attention. You can finish listening at our Instagram page, Daring Dialogues to the Conversation. Take care, be well, and most importantly, be light.